And I'm going to put this on Instagram. Is this your, is this your, you have a social media for your, your podcast? Yeah. Awesome. How many uh, subscribers do you have now? Hundred or something. We have over a hundred now. Oh, cool. So it's, it's growing <laughs> slowly. It's embarrassing. Welcome to Conversation on Tap, a new podcast that seeks to promote intelligent dialogue in an age of echo chambers and self-segregation. Pull up a stool, pour a glass of uh, frosty lager, and join us each week as we talk about all the topics that you were told not to discuss in polite company. My name is Joel. I'm Jose. And this week we are joined by... Andy. Andy is here to join us and talk about comedy. All right, shall we drink some beers? Andy actually brought it. Maybe you can tell us what we have. All right, well, I brought Anchor Steam beer. Mm. It's a staple. Cheers. Yes. So tasty. It's an amber lager with a nice foamy head. And it this beer dates back to the gold rush in San Francisco. And it, and what makes it distinctive is it's warm fermented. It's a lager, warm fermented, and open fermenters. And they would notice that steam would come up, come off these rooftop fermenters. And so that's why it gets the name Anchor Steam. Oh, that's cool. Interesting. Yeah, I always remembered that lagers are normally um, fermented at colder temperature. I can't remember what it is. And ales, I do them all the time in my house. You have to be right around seventy degrees. And somehow they get. I think it. It is the lager yeast mm-hmm. to ferment at ale temperatures, and that's what gives. And I might have that exactly opposite. It might be the ale yeast uh-huh. fermenting at lager, but you said they're they're higher temperatures, so it must be the lager yeast. And they're at they're yeah. at higher temperatures, room temperature, room temperature, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 right around yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of cool about this beer. And man, yeah. I heard that the tour in San Francisco is amazing. So well, and it goes. I just associated with San Francisco, and it really goes back to the gold rush. Yeah, that's so cool. Mm. And some people even talk about this sort of being like the precursors to you know microbrews and all this cool revolution in, in beer so this is we have to drink this on this podcast. Plus it's a lager. We're all about lagers. Yeah. Lagers. Exactly. That's right. Right. Yeah. No. Those IPAs. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I feel a little guilty about that because I, I don't know. I feel like you're an IPA guy. And I'll, I'll, drink, should... I'll drink whatever. All right, Jose, I'm sorry. But you know I like that you be to be are faithful to lagers because we've got to have something, right? Yeah, we have like yeah. Our we're just thing. we're just. I mean, IPAs are everywhere. We're going against the grain. I just love beer. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. Earlier at lunch, someone mentioned like meeting over a beer and like learning to speak Spanish. Right. You know, oh, yeah. like, I'll fun. just show up and just sit there quietly, get drunk. <laughs> I'll listen to you speak Spanish. <laughs> and I feel like you need to drink alcohol when yeah. you're learning a new language because you're totally, it frees you to just try to make mistakes or not try to make mistakes, yeah, but not up. worry about making mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, loosen up. And now for the segment of our show that we call Fred Talks. In this segment of our show, Joel and Andy and I will each share one thing that we are passionate about for two minutes, though we tend to be a bit long-winded, so that isn't a strict time limit. This week, Joel, you're going to discuss... All right, well, Andy and I just discovered that we are pastor's kids. I mean, I just discovered he is. And um, so I feel like we should talk a little bit about our own personal denomination that we grew up with and, and this sort of Protestant, um, I think it's in their DNA to constantly be splitting up 
And um, so I would like to talk a little bit about the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. That's the church that I grew up um, in, and that's one of many Lutheran denominations. The other big one is the LCMA, the Lutheran Church uh, of, I don't know what that stands for, actually, the Lutheran Church of America somehow, but where's the M in there? Massachusetts. Yeah, I know. There's also a really more conservative sect of Germans, uh, of, of, excuse me, of, of Lutherans, um, called the Wisconsin Synod, and there's a, a, several others that I don't even know about, but I think it was so interesting. We just came back from Kansas, and Krista's dad grew up in this very conservative Lutheran Missouri Synod Church, mm-hmm. and he went back, and they knew that he then joined, since leaving Kansas, the L- Lutheran Church of the United States, and he was then not allowed to, to take communion there. And this is this this oh, wow. church that is so central to his life, you know? And it's, it's I don't know, I'm just so against that idea. It broke his heart, breaks his heart to this day, and is so ridiculous, and is so antithetical to the idea, the Christian idea of inclusiveness, you know? Yeah. And, and just, it, it was shocking. But anyway, it, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod is definitely the more conservative of the um, synod and the um, ELCA, that's the church name, um, the Ecumenical Lutheran Church of America is, is the one that now allows females and allows other people of other faiths to have communion at church and um, the one I would feel much more comfortable in nowadays. More like inclusive. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, so it's interesting though that, that, the, that these, the Lutheran Church, the Lutheran. everyone would just assume that it's just one monolith, mm-hmm. but it's so different in its beliefs. Well, that's crazy. Another way that they differ is in um, their, you know, obviously this has been a huge stumbling block for so many churches, is in their um, acceptance of gays. And the ELCA has been super accepting. And the Lutheran Church has just been so anti-homosexual ministers, any kind of of, uh, bringing homosexuals into the fold. I mean, it's just been really hard for me to take. Oh, wow. And so, Andy, where, what denomination, again, did you grow up in? Well, I grew up in the United Church of Christ, uh, which is a liberal, pretty liberal denomination, and my father was the minister. And he started out as Methodist, and, you know, he was a poor kid in a rural area, and and, and the church paid for him to go to college, so he was right. first-generation college graduate, and... Where did he grow up? He grew up in Texas, in near Fort Worth, Texas. Right on. Yeah. And uh, my mom and dad came out to California. I came here when I was four, and he went to the Claremont School of Theology. He wanted to get a doctorate to improve his, his job prospects. And once they came to California, they my mom couldn't go back to the heat in Texas. So, yeah. and uh, but at that time in the, in Claremont, it was it was the early seventies. So it was women's liberation. Mm-hmm. It was a liberal environment, and so a lot of the professors were atheists. They were sometimes into the Bible as a more historical document. Mm-hmm. And then there was there was the gay rights and the women's rights and all that stuff that was going on. So he ended up joining the United Church of Christ, which is more of an inclusive um, space for that accepts everyone. It's more on the more liberal side. And he really was into um, serving and he was into the ceremony and the art of putting a service together, the music. He always hired the best music people and he, uh, so he enjoyed that creative part Mm -hmm. of, and, and also, you know, the people part of it. He was very good at, I mean, when he first started his church, 
man, he knocked on doors and he recruited one person at a time. And I went back to his old church that I grew up in and they still talk about Jim coming to their house and knocking on their door. So awesome. Organizing. Yeah, Yeah, totally. It was organizing. Yeah. And and then my cousin, uh, back to the Methodist church, my cousin is the dean of a seminary in Ohio and they're kind of going through that same fissure. They have a large, um, uh, African contingent of Methodists and they tend to be more, uh, more conservative. Mm -hmm. The, definitely the the, um, the homosexual issue is is prominent there mm-hmm. so my cousin is kind of he has a he has a podcast and he writes a lot and and so he's trying trying to you know prevent keep the church together but it's yeah. Yeah. it's often difficult it's yeah. So, yeah it's so typical of, of Protestant churches to constantly have these fissures you know and then right. so often it splits the churches into these smaller and smaller denominations. It's so interesting. But I think I would feel so at home in your dad's church because yeah. I like the, the um, what's the, what's it called? The, the, the order of the service. and like the liturgy. The liturgy. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And <laughs> I like a, a, I like music, and, and I really miss that. I don't go to church a whole lot anymore. And, and that your dad really, you know, elevated that sounds outstanding. But we always talk about in this podcast social justice and that's what I think is so cool. It sounds like he was, and in my church, and this is what I really want to bring up. Growing up, social justice—I kid you not—was a bad word. Which is shocking, you know. As you know, Jesus is the full-on social justice warrior, and being a social justice warrior in my church growing up was definitely not cool. Well, because they would equate that with works, right? Exactly, works. exactly, so exactly. exactly. It's bad. Well, I was—I uh, hear a lot from Jose on the on the Catholic Church, and you know, we're involved in politics here in town, and talk about that social justice element. And I mm-hmm. remember when I first moved here, we had Sister Janet Corcoran, who mm-hmm. she was out there in the as far social justice justice issues and and I think that the clergy here sometimes they're a little bit I think more reluctant to engage in yeah. you know these d- district elections we have and so I want to encourage you know social justice is really that's how you make positive change it really is and in fact mm-hmm. I think we talked about that with um, Hazel. Hazel and she said yeah that priests because Santa Maria's population tends to be a little bit more conservative are very hesitant right. to, to bring that they want to I think she said they do. but but um, it's it's tough for them because well, they don't want to lose. You don't want to lose people. It's just right. always this balancing game. So I met with the priest at my parish, and we had that discussion. And I said, you know, we have all this talk going on now about deportations. What can we do for our, our local um, undocumented? And they kind of said, well, you know, we bring in lawyers. We have immigration lawyers. We talked to ICE. We've had conversations with ICE, but not much. They're not into doing much more beyond that because then it becomes more visible, mm-hmm. and they're afraid of being like given that stigma of being too political. Yeah. Because we're in a conservative area. Yeah, and people will leave. I, yeah. And yeah, so it's I this know weird that. like balance. Yep. Which is unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. But, no, it's 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 a tightrope walk. I mean the, you don't want to do so much that you're gonna lose parishioners because you always want to keep them listening to your message. That's the main goal. But um you have to, to move forward <laughs> exactly that's, that's awesome I'm glad to yeah. hear both because usually it's me talking about this stuff so I'm glad to hear from other perspectives oh there's nothing I mean it's so fascinating religion is just fascinating religion. Religion. yeah all its facets my friend talk is a little more depressing <laughs> So on August 14th, the Pennsylvania grand jury issued a report on sex abuse that had been occurring in their state. Mind you, this had gone back to like the late 40s. So 300 priests, 1,000 victims. So of course, you're having priests who are committing multiple incidences of um, sexual assault against 
minors, right? I just want to point out, because I think what happens sometimes, and I think Bill Maher is someone who does this, is they, is they look at these allegations, and there's like a thousand victims just in this report in one state, right? And they'll say, well, this is happening now. But these are historical, decades-old abuses. And so one, the oldest victim is 83, and he was abused like in the late 40s, early 50s. And that's not to like minimize at all, but I think people have this idea that like it's widespread happening today. So I say that only to say this is like decades right. of abuse that have piled up. And even the Pennsylvania report mentioned that um, the, the abuse has pretty much been eliminated since 2002. And of course, everyone knows 2002 is when there was that whole spotlight scandal. The Boston Globe did their reporting on it. Mm-hmm. And they unveiled you know, this massive scandal that had been going on. Great movie, yeah. Well, great movie as well. I love yeah. that movie. I recommend it to people. Even, if you want to know anything about the abuse um, that had been going on in places like Boston and Massachusetts, yeah. that's a great movie to watch. But um, I think that one of the big issues, though, now is the fact that it seems like so many priests and higher-ups, I shouldn't say priests, I should say bishops and higher-ups, yeah. yeah, we're just moving these guys to different parishes. Right. and So that's part of what I was going to talk about next was, so going forward... I think what we need to do is bring to light all the abuse, because this was just one state. Yeah. There's other states. There's 49 other states. This was just in the United States. I mean, we had a release in Chile recently. A while ago, we had Ireland. So we need to just unveil all the abuse that's occurred across the country, across the world. Just get it all out. Because what's happening now is like a slow bleed, like a trickle of these um, revelations, these scandals. Just get it out. Just pull the bandaid off or whatever. Here's the ugly truth. Let's just get it out. So that's one. Two, we need to own it. Because I think I you know, I follow the Catholic Twitter or Catholic social media, and there are people out there like the Catholic League who's crazy, and they're saying, this isn't real. This is not really happening. This is These are just made-up allegations. Hasn't been proven in court. Well, no, duh, because a lot of these have, are, are beyond the statute of limitations. Could those be the same people that say that Russia didn't collude those with Those probably Trump? be the same people. <laughs> They're in the same vein, mm-hmm. right? So we need to just own it. Stop denying it. Stop making excuses. One of the excuses that I'm finding on the Internet is that people are blaming gay people. They're scapegoating homosexuals. Now, how, what is the rationale there? I don't get that. Because they're saying, like, well, if they're gay, well, then obviously they're they're attracted to children. Well, okay. they're trying to say that it's gay priests who are committing these. So, and for them, it's like, well, look, it's a male priest, and they're abusing male, you know, adolescents. This well, there's is no so connection crazy. between... Right, but but where's the evidence? First, the evidence that well, says that evidence. gay people molest people at higher uh, incidence than, than... There isn't any. There isn't any. But they're looking, well, see, it's male priest, male child. But I think it's... And they think that's gay. Right, right. They don't exactly. understand, like, that's not the psychology of an abuser or a predator. No. There's, yeah. There are other things going on, such as, like, power control. Right. There's, like, a depraved or, like, immature sexual orientation where they're attracted to children. There's a whole other their psychology to that. that now, do you into. do you discount the possibility that because uh, priests aren't allowed to marry, that that has anything to do with this? Because I oh, totally. totally think that that has something to do with that. I know you discount. No, that. I, there's no connection. Just like there's no connection to being gay and having abuse whatsoever. Because but, but, but because I think priests mm-hmm. not being able to have sex is unnatural, in my view, and I know right. that you, I you and I, we both disagree with this right, big right. time. Um, no it would, to me, seem obvious that they would have to look um, right. for venues that are sort of 
I mean, because the sexual desire is natural and is going to be in all, every what priest. Is natural, right? right. It just seems not out of the question that this might lead to some dysfunction, shall we say, right. in priests. But I know you discount that. So right. So um, what is your this has been, there's been other studies done on this, like the John Jay report done after the 2002 scandal. And there's no link between celibacy and priests or anyone to um, pedophilia or child abuse. So there's no link there. And I think there actually have been some feminists who've come out against that argument saying, so you're going to displace child abusers to women? What? <laughs> so you're gonna, because then they'll absorb the abuse. Oh. So the abuse that they would have given a child, okay. they're now going to be <laughs> giving to like a spouse. Yeah. If that makes sense. But, okay, so, so as I was saying, we need to bring to light all the, the, all the abuse, just get it out. Um... Stop blaming people. Stop scapegoating the gays, right? But we also need to do things like raise a statute of limitations so we can prosecute these guys who are basically walking away scot-free because they can no longer be charged with a crime because it's passed. The time limit has passed. We also need to remove, as you were saying earlier, any bishop, any cardinal who was moving priests around, even if it was like 20 years ago, because there's bishops from 20 years ago, who are cardinals today. But... Who are responsible for shifting and moving. They should be out. But only if we know for sure that they knew. Yes. Right? And that's where, you know, it gets fuzzy. But go on. I'm sorry. So, yeah. So, for example, Cardinal Whirl has been accused of that. And he's like, no, I did not know yeah. that this person was an abuser. Yeah. Because they, the diocese would keep those records, but lock them up. Mm-hmm. And so he may not have known. Mm-hmm. Like, he might have just been moving a bishop, not knowing he had allegations. Right. So, I mean... That would need further investigations. But if we knew for a fact that they were moving around, yeah. they should be gone. And then I would just say that one of the things that's being pushed now is having a group of lay, or it's like parishioners, right, um, experts who are like an accountability board so that they investigate these separate from the clergy. So it's not like the clergy investigating themselves. It would be a separate group of like lawyers or psychologists or whatever investigators who would do the investigations and... Okay, Keep now, accountable. do they have that yet? They don't, but they need to have that, yeah. But here's my deal, and this sort of um, goes in line with what's happened on college campuses. Right. Where so much of the investigations happen in-house, mm-hmm. and I'm always like, well, no, none of the investigations should happen in-house. Just send it off to the police. Like, right. what is your take on that? I don't get why so many of the investigations happen in the Catholic Church or on college campuses where you just say, right. no, we wash our hands of this. We just send it right to the authorities. So, like, I don't get that. No, and that's that's what needs to happen, and that is happening a lot of times. So but maybe the, but are the committees are sort of to decide what goes to the authorities or... Or not even necessarily that, but to say, like, is there abuse happening? Okay. okay. But no, it should automatically go, and I think that's already the rule. Yeah. Like, you're supposed to call authorities. Like Which that. hasn't happened, though. That hasn't happened right. always. Right. Because, like you said, at college campuses, like, they'll tell it to the archdiocese, or they'll tell it to the parish priest or whoever, and they'll investigate themselves. Yeah. But they're supposed to tell the authorities. Right. That's supposed to be automatic. Okay, good. But there needs to be, like, a board who investigates the clergy, so they're not investigating themselves. Yeah. Um, Pope Francis, I just want to I'll end on this, basically commented finally on this. It's been a few days because he's waiting for all the information to come out. The Pope Francis came out with a speech, and you can find it on, in, online. But I think the key quote that he said, um, and Joel said this earlier, you know, he, his head is not in the sand. He's totally just facing his head on. He said, we showed no care for the little ones. And, you know, that's that. at the end of the day, that's what we have to be doing is showing 
concern for the children. Not be worried about protecting the church from scandal or protecting priests or bishops or cardinals, but like protecting the children. So, yeah. Anyway, that's mine. Cheers to that. Amen to that. Yes, on to comedy. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> cheers. Cheers. <laughs> so weird cheers. We're crying to our beers. We're crying to our beers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so sad. So our main topic today is comedy, and man, is it rich. Yeah. We have a chalkboard here at the podcast studios yes. where we always write down um, sort of an outline, and it is full, and each one of the points could have so many subtopics, yeah. and, and man, first of all, can I just say that, have you guys ever... Just throwing on a Netflix comedy when you kind of had a bad day, and you just like you get those endorphins going, you laugh, and it's amazing what that does for you. And is this not an art that has sort of been overlooked as an art and um, as something that we should celebrate maybe more than we do? I don't know. And it's also truly an American art too, which is kind of cool too. Yeah. But anyway, I just uh, to start with that. That's it's just such a great art. Laughter is the best medicine. Yes, true, and that is so true. Mm-hmm. And they're actually finding so much scientific uh, evidence for that. Yeah, that's what you should just tell cancer patients: just laugh a lot, you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, no medicine for you. <laughs> no medicine for you. Here's yeah. You don't have any health insurance. Just laugh a lot, you'll yeah. be fine. Here's Cosby. We'll leave you alone with him, <laughs> and you'll be fine. Let's <laughs> make you some drinks. <laughs> so on that horrible note, I think one of the issues we've been talking about, like outside of the podcast is, you know, one of the issues is comedians often get in trouble by the PC police. Is there a line? Is there, is is there too far? Can comedians go too far with their comedy? Okay. (laughs) I think I've said this before, and this really, I'm so sheepish about this, but I say... If it's comedy, we often laugh because it breaks such barriers. Yeah. And, I mean, you can talk about, and I was talking about this joke that uh, Silverman said earlier before the podcast started, and it was beyond the pale. But it made me laugh because it's so beyond the pale. And and that's why I would hate to draw lines. But what do you guys think? Is there, let's try to think, I mean, we'd have to go so into the gutter. Yeah. Like a rape joke. Right, 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 exactly. Okay, so rape jokes. I think most of us could say it's bad, but George Carlin said, So you can't joke about something because it's not funny. Comedians run into that all the time. Like rape. They'll say, you can't joke about rape. Rape's not funny. Picture Porky Pig raping Elmer Fudd. <laughs> See? Hey, why do you think they call him Porky, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so they're not so off the table. George, That's Carlin, George Carlin's like, nothing's off the table. No. He would definitely be on, on the boat, on the, or on the side that says nothing's off the but table. That's, but that's sensitive, though. I mean, where's the line? Yeah. Well, and it's, it's really become... Yes. It's been a big problem. Is yes. it the snowflakes? Or? Snowflakes. Yes. Because yeah. uh, I think Seinfeld says that he won't play college campuses. Yep. Chris Rock has said the same thing. There's a creepy PC thing out there that really bothers me. 
And it's really, you know, it's like horrible. I think, yeah. and it's gener. Is it not generational, or is I that bad is. of me to say? It is gener. The millennials, college kids now, are so politically correct. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, they say, and a ton of the comedians say it's the millennials. You think people are harmed by jokes? I think they can be. Are students allowed to be offended by a joke? And are comedians allowed to push that envelope on a college campus when we're paying you to deliver a service? I can talk about my experience, but I can't make fun of someone else's identity. Yeah. So that's sad. It's the PC police. Yeah. And so I think it was um, Bill Burr. He was on Comedians and Cars getting coffee, Jerry Seinfeld's Netflix show. And he said, Those people who get offended like that, uh -huh. if they want to see stand-up comedy, they should hire a comic for a private show and go, these are the topics you can talk about, these are the topics you don't. So you come in to the hostile environment of a comedy club and we get to say whatever we want. Absolutely. And I totally agree. Yeah, I do too. And, and it's just, uh -huh. it just shows such naivete on their part, mm -hmm. coming in and expecting there to be lines that you can't cross over. I mean, this is, have they not seen comedy shows? I think a lot of them haven't. Probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I think of, um, I mentioned this last week, I think, a week before last, Mel Brooks. You know, he did the producers, and there was the whole springtime for Hitler. Yeah. Right? And he got in, in trouble for that. Yeah. Like, oh, wow. whoa, you can't do Hitler stuff. You can't yeah. do Nazi stuff. Yeah. Hilarious. But, you know, he could do it because he's Jewish, so he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know. And then Sarah Silverman, she's done Holocaust jokes. Yeah. Are those funny? Yeah. I mean... In 1944, at the age of 17, Mel Brooks enlisted in the army, but he didn't enlist out of bravery or a sense of duty. He enlisted because he knew even then that fighting Nazis would entitle him to a lifetime of Holocaust jokes. <laughs> Watch this. What do the Jews hate most about the Holocaust? The cost. <laughs> I, I, think, I, think I think they a are. I, I tend to laugh more the more the more you, taboo. Yeah, the more taboo. I don't know what it is. I think it's me being a pastor's kid and and being just speaking of this earlier topic, right. being so irreverent and loving these barriers just being smashed through. I don't know. It's weird. Well, it's really comedy is a, a coping me mechanism for us, and yes. and I always think about why such, such why are there so many Jewish comedians, yeah, and it true. and it because of all the tragedy in that culture. That's how you if you're you know you can laugh instead of cry. Yeah. And so there's a lot through that tradition. They have a great tradition of comedy. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think David, probably, and this just smacked me in the head, that African Americans are probably such great comedians. Oh, yeah. And I hate to generalize, but I mean, Lord. Mm -hmm. And it's because they've gone through such, and you could laugh or cry, like you said. Well, and outsiders, uh, yeah, outsiders tend to, if you have an outsider's take, like a woman or a minority, often that's a real legitimate take in comedy. But you were talking about Larry David, which uh, yeah. Seinfeld, I like the kind of the avant-garde. I like the, and I think what makes Seinfeld work is that it had this kind of crazy avant-garde Larry David, and then it had this kind of joke guy, set up a joke guy, Seinfeld. Yeah. And, I mean, it made this brilliant, brilliant TV show. Yeah. It was a perfect combo, and they discovered that, kind of chemistry, the two of them, when they went to a birthday party huh. for a mutual friend. And Larry David wrote some hilarious stuff, but didn't want to say it. So he gave it to Jerry. And Jerry read it and killed. And I think you're right. It's this, like, avant-garde madness of Larry David. And then, yeah, Jerry's kind of... Wait a minute. Man. So 
But I think of Larry David as not having boundaries as much as totally. Yeah, Jerry, as, as much Jerry's as Jerry. Kind of the more, Jerry's more buttoned up than more buttoned up. Yeah. But reading Larry David's stuff, he yeah. was just oh. crazy. Oh, what a great, Killed. what a great combo, my lord. By the way, how many napkins does a person need? To get through a sandwich. It's, 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 I don't know. I, I use a lot of napkins. Always. Every meal. You should bring a bath towel to eat. That's what you should bring. <laughs> well, the comics are the smartest. They're really the smartest yeah. ones. Yeah, yeah, right. They are. Yeah. Uh, I always think of the hardest novel and, and short story to, to sort of pull off. And it's always the comedy. You can pull off a drama and a tragedy so much easier than a comedy, but man, it's so embarrassing and so fun to listen to comedians talk about just bombing, yes. and and they know it's going to happen, yeah. and and that's because their art is the hardest. Yeah, and I think yeah, again, I go I go back to Jerry Seinfeld. He's like one of my favorites. He was talking about how you know you could get a comedian, right, who does stand up is just naturally funny. And put him in a dramatic role. So, you know Nick Kroll? You heard of him? Mm-hmm. He's a comedian. He's going to be in this, like, movie. I forget what it's called, but it's like a Nazi hunter film. <laughs> oh, wow. Drama. So it's like the Israeli intelligence agency, CIA kind of thing. They go to Argentina to find these uh, Nazis who are hiding. It's got a comedian, right? Hell yeah. But Jerry was saying you could not take a dramatic actor and put them on stage to be a stand-up. No. It doesn't translate. No, it doesn't. But comedians, like you were saying, they're so smart. And they're coming yeah. from a dark place. And we can talk about that later. Yeah. But they're in touch with a different part of their mind that a lot of us aren't in touch yeah. with. Robin Williams in uh, both Dead Poet Society and in, what's that Boston one with um, where he's the professor? Come on. I'm, just, I'm so old. Hunt, uh, uh, games. Are you talking about Goodwill Hunting? Goodwill Good Hunting, hunting yeah. yes. Goodwill Hunting was classic. Yeah. yeah. And we didn't bat an eye when he played that dramatic role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a new HBO documentary on Robin Williams, and there's a new autobiography, but uh, what an amazing... He's just one of the heroes of mine. I just oh, enjoyed... Yeah. He was a Shakespearean, classically trained actor. He went out there without a mic, so it was like comedy Shakespeare and all those voices, And mm-hmm. but it had joke. It was joke, 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 joke. And he made it look easy, but it was. It was, it was mm. prepared stuff. Damn it, man. What's going on with you? It comes from a deep part inside myself that was actually looking for my mother, but yet I saw that moment when she looked up there, and I went, okay, I'll be funny for her, but that Okay, that's fine. Work that way. Come back out from that and then realize after a while that I want to be, except you like me. You really like me. No, it's not that. No, it's not that I can be trained. I can actually show you how intelligent I am. I can use a word like delicatessen and know what it means. And so, did you guys ever watch him like on Johnny or something and not being able to follow and wanting so desperately to be able to rewind? Because he would just go like, bing, bong, bong. And man, and after a while, I was like, man, I can't even keep up. Uh But the people who were bright enough would just be laughing their asses off because it was just so brilliant. Overflowing with comedic genius. Yeah. He couldn't contain himself. Is there some reason you don't do this? Is it the fact that you get nervous? Very much. I, I suffer from severe dyslexia, too. I was the only child in my block on Halloween to go trick or trout. <laughs> people go, oh, look, here comes that young Williams boy again. Better get some. They said, all the people at the institution, Tommy, <laughs> if you haven't taken your medication yet, it's going to be fine. Yeah, yeah, I would see him on, on, on late night shows or whatever, and he would annoy the, the hosts, right? Because yeah. they couldn't get a word in. Right, right. Yeah. Constant. <laughs> so, like, I, one of my favorite Robin Williams things of all time was inside the actor's studio. 
with right, James yeah. Lipton. Uh-huh. Ah, yeah. You gotta watch that. Oh, that's it's that amazing. real serious guy. Yeah. Oh, I have to watch that. It's the whole time is Robin Williams doing his comedic diarrhea. And he never. <laughs> James Lipton hardly got any questions. <laughs> It's all part of it because it's all part of the mind that actually flows like that. Because I realize that the human mind is a three and a half pound gland that pumps neurons constantly and deals with itself by responding to stimulus. That's what we're designed to do, evolving slowly. Even Darwin's going, I have hopes. <laughs> I had such high hopes. <laughs> I'll just go watch that. But there was one riff that he did on that, which was uh, Lipton was talking about, why do you do this? And, and it was really, you know, it comes from a dark place. He was mm. a lonely child. A brilliant, lonely child, and so this was his coping mm. mechanism. Yeah, mm. that connects, like you were, we were saying earlier, about the Jewish people having like that tragic history, and you have to be able to laugh and find humor. Did find he... What, did, was his issue um, mental illness? Did, yeah, mental illness. And aren't there a fair amount of comedians who have mental illness? Well, I think you could look at some of the comedians who've gotten in trouble and say, yeah. And where is that? That's... I mean... As a full-on Love Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest fan, that is fascinating to me, you know? There is genius in mental illness, and and there's no, I mean, in my mind. There's there's a quote, and I forget who said it, but the person said, it's the cracked ones who let the light in. Hell yeah. And I was like, that's so good. In in our classrooms, right? We get that all the time, that the... Quirky kid just is just so refreshing. Yeah, right on. So true. Look at Robin Williams. Yeah, classic example. Mm. Yeah, so good. Right on. So I I think we were saying earlier, like we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, I guess. But maybe we can take a step back. Yeah. And kind of like, what's the history of comedy like in the United States? And Andy, I think this is something you're probably more knowledgeable about. Well, it started uh, the 50s and 40s and early on. It was the vaudeville and the borch belt and the take my wife, please. And right. My wife and I go to a romantic restaurant twice a week. little candlelight, a little wine. She goes Tuesdays, I go Fridays. <laughs> and really there was, um, there was a sea change in the 60s. We had the Beatles, we had Dylan, and then we had the comedy. And actually there's a very good show on um, Amazon. It's uh, The Marvelous Mrs. Maples. Oh, yeah. And it it really covers that she's kind of a Lenny Bruce um, type of comedian where it's this improvisational, it's off the cup, it's personal. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we talked about George Carlin and certainly Richard Pryor where they, uh, I think, and that's really bled into modern comedy. You really, a lot of modern comedy really comes from your experiences yeah. and your soul. And um, yeah. It's more professional. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's more personal. Autobiographical. Yeah. 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 You take your personal experiences and that becomes like the joke. Right? Yeah. But I think um but the personal is sorry. Yeah. Universal. Yes. You know, if they experienced it, there's going to be a huge percentage who also have it and that's funny. Yeah. But then also like you take like someone like Richard Pryor and he sets himself on fire basically smoking crack or whatever it was, right? I remember this one. It's striped a match like this. It's like what's that? Richard Pryor running down the street. And that becomes a stand-up routine, and it, and it kills. <laughs> oh yeah! So it's taking a personal experience. I have no experience. I don't know what it's like to smoke crack. Yeah. I don't know what it's like to set myself on fire. Yeah. But that funny. Oh man! Because it's 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 the way that they phrase their this way they use their words. They phrase the, I don't know their ideas or whatever. And it comes across just very humorous. I, I don't know yep. how you guys would. Well, Pryor, uh, and I mean, he grew up in a, a whorehouse. I mean, mm-hmm. he had. There's a lot. He had a lot of tragedy, mm-hmm. and that and mm-hmm. uh, manifest that in his comedy. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It was it was brilliant. 
Yeah. So you go from the '60s, and and then there was Carlin with this interesting half. I almost think of him as a commentator as much as a comedian. Right. He, God, he made me kind of cynical. I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't really look into things as much as I should have until Carlin just totally said, these guys don't care about you at all. They just want to make money. Yeah. The government doesn't care about you at all. You're a fool out there if you're following these guys. And then I start going, Sh- I better start looking into this right. stuff. And but he made it damn funny. Yeah. You know? That's amazing that you can do both. Mm-hmm. You know? And he had kind of a his persona was this grouchy old man and you know, grouchy's funny. Grouchy oh, yeah. can be very funny. Yeah. Archie Bunker. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so like, I grew up with, with George Carlin because my grandmother loved George Carlin. I grew up with these thoughts, like, yeah, the government is probably not being totally honest with me. Mm. Or, yeah, the media is probably trying to control my thoughts. Mm. And, and I don't want to bash the media right now because they're, they're kind of besieged from, you know, the White House. But I, I don't know necessarily that it's conscious, but, like, as a society, we try to control thoughts. And that yeah. kind of goes back to the PC discussion we had yeah. at the beginning, where it's like, you can only say these things. Yeah. You can't say those things. That's right? it. So beautiful. And George media. Carlin had that, like, top ten things you can't say, and he said them all. Yeah, love it. Well, they're the, the comedians are the truth tellers. Yeah, yeah. they really yeah. are. Yeah. yeah, it's funny how truth becomes so funny because it's true. It's just like what that would be in a normal society. The thing that we'd all just be bored about, but right, right. In, you know, and, and it's so it's so really. I just struck me. Of course, we all know this. So important in today's world, you know. Oh. And we can talk about the great. Comedians who are giving us news yeah. nowadays, but they come from this funny tradition of like SNL and Chicago's. Um, help me out here, Second City, right? Comedy Store. How many of those guys came from there? So who do we have? I can't. I don't know the list. But there's a lot. I just realized. Uh, I mean, you just told people, me uh, Colbert came Colbert from Second came, City. I didn't even yeah, know that. Colbert came from Second City. Tina Fey. Steve Carell. Yeah, I think Steve yeah. Carell. Yeah, and then this and, whole sketch tradition. And SNL, I was reading about uh, up in Canada, it was there was a, a famous production of Godspell, and it was like Gilda Radner and Bill Murray and Martin oh, wow. Short. No and, um, and then uh, Lauren Michaels brought them all down to, to New York, and that was a whole sea change. Is Lauren Michaels, new. is he Canadian too? Yes, he yeah, is. Oh yeah. And he was, he was from a, a comedy troupe, a Canadian comedy troupe. So many great yeah. comedians are Canadian. It's the outsider. They're kind of the outsider. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Jim Carrey. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's SNL shocking. like broke in because of the brilliant like comedy on like Nixon, Ford, Carter, and then they had those brilliant weekend updates, right? Oh yeah. Where Dan Aykroyd's like, Jane, you ignorant slut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? And, and I don't know. It, it was so brilliant. It was so funny. But then also there was that political cultural dynamic. Yeah. And yeah. that's like I think when political commentary, political comedy was like sexy. That's when it got like yeah. popular. And it has totally thrived. Mm-hmm. And now how many of us get our news from 
comedians. It's Daily Show, Stephen yeah. Colbert. Yeah. And yeah, Trevor Noah, you like that show? Yeah, Trevor Trevor absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So good. But see, another Bill Maher. Okay. Trevor Noah from South Africa. Outsider. Outsider. Yeah. Yeah. Poor background. Poor background. Yep. Oh, Bill Maher. I just, I think he is the best, uh, the best out there. I just, because it's, he's got that Johnny Carson kind of delivery, but it's like he's the dirty Johnny Carson and he's uh-huh. so totally. on point. Yeah. I like him for his commentary. He just totally exposes the elephant in the room constantly and that's what's so good about him. So it's like, oh yeah, okay, finally somebody gets exactly to the bone, you know, and, and without beating around the bush. But yeah, it's it's just amazing like, how many of these guys have become the news of our generation. And I think what makes them the news today is that they're so pointed and they're so they're so educated on all the political commentary yeah. and all the political news that you have people in the White House targeting <laughs> them. Yeah. Right? You've got Trump tweeting out like Stephen Colbert's a loser, right? Yeah. So Jimmy Fallon, low ratings, failing bigly, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? So you have Trump targeting them. Well, he wouldn't target them if they weren't making Powerful. a dent, if they weren't doing yeah. something. And that's a big change. That is a oh, huge yes. change in late night because Johnny Carson was kind of right down the center. Mm-hmm. But in the Trump era, I think Colbert started it. They, You have to have a take now. Yeah. Isn't it interesting what happened to, not Jimmy Fallon, but the guy in L.A. who didn't go after Trump right at the beginning and almost embraced him. I don't think he fully embraced him. I think he's talking about and, Oh, yeah, Jimmy Fallon. Um, and Jimmy Fallon got raked over the coals. Oh, that, first and I got to tell you, I think rightly so. He wow. embraced him too much. And uh, and he's paying for it. His numbers went down. And Colbert, at first, you remember Colbert had bad numbers? And he kept on going the political route. He kept on at it. I think a bunch of people said, you better back off. I think that's why your numbers are bad. And he kept on it. And good for him because he's. I think he's number one now in the, of the three. One. Yeah. And yesterday he went on the tweet fence against his own attorney general. Two long-running Obama-era investigations of two very popular Republican congressmen were brought to a well-publicized charge just ahead of the midterms by the Jeff Sessions Justice Department. Good job, Jeff. Dot, 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 dot. But the Colbert Report was brilliant. Oh, gosh. Oh, that's, sure. yeah. that's why I was so hopeful that he would come out on top. And as a Catholic, I'm very proud of him. Yeah. Oh, wow. But I also have to say, Jimmy Fallon's Catholic, Conan's Catholic, Jimmy Kimmel's Catholic. We're Are you kidding? We're dominating. Are you guys. kidding? Yeah. Wow. Kimmel's married to Silverman, right? Was married. Okay, they're not anymore. Right I didn't know. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't realize the divorce. Okay. Yeah. That could not have lasted. No. <laughs> this, is, this is Hollywood. Yeah. Exactly. All right, so we got we talked about Second City. We talked about SNL. Um, in L.A., we've got – help me out. Comedy well, the comedy store comedy is just story. world famous. And, uh, yeah, and, and I think even Seinfeld is, says that's like, that's like Mecca. Maybe yeah. is that Mecca oh, or wow. more than yeah, any other? His picture is not on the wall in the comedy store. Oh yeah, do you, do you see that? Yeah. That was a good. Uh, is that that um, having coffee in a? Yeah. yeah. So I guess he had issues with Mitzi, who was the owner. Of- oh, that's right. And there's a good. There's a very good. It's a Showtime. It's called I'm Dying Up Here. It's a Showtime series, but it traces the history of the comedy store during that time. Oh, and the comedy store was Richard that. Pryor, Jay Leno, um, mm. Letterman, and um, you know. It Really? It seems like they all kind of filtered through there at one point in their life. The great mid- yeah. center of show business, really. Mm-hmm. And it's just so humble. I mean, it's just a little place like on Sunset or Dollywood, mm-hmm. and it's, it's crazy. a crazy little place. Yeah. 
That's cool. Humble. Yeah. Oh, and it's packed. It is mm-hmm. packed, and I'm actually going there this weekend. Oh, this oh I'm so jealous. Yeah, I've never been. <laughs> I what are you go. seeing? Um, I don't know. It's called the Stars of Comedy. But oh, the one thing about so cool. The one thing about comedians is that they have to keep working out. It's like yeah. so you can get the most famous Rob Schneider, or you can get like all these famous movie stars, but they have to work it all. Oh, they have to get yeah. out there. So you can oh, see yeah. a lot of people. Uh, gosh, in New York, the comedy cell. Mm. is and there's a whole kind of um there's a whole science around comedy like the room has to be a certain size mm. they mm. uh they, you know the comedy cellar is in a lower and it's small and so it's a certain amount is this critical mass and they don't let they don't let bachelorette parties in there and <laughs> yeah you know but they there's a whole science about creating this environment but man in down in the comedy cellar in new york you can see you know very famous just all these people come in and they'll do five minutes and they'll leave oh, yeah. wow. just trying things go. out yeah 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 that's cool well, i think like jay leno said he was on WTF with Mark Marin. You you put me oh. onto that actually. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He mentioned that you know he pretty much hasn't touched a lot of that late show money. Like he lives a lot uh-huh. on like his stand up and he travels wow. across the country doing stand up still. Wow. He still he's Jay Leno and he still does stand up. That's in cool. Hermosa Beach on Sunday night, he performs at a comedy club there and he's been doing it since nineteen seventy one. I mean it's but Jay that, how does how does that stay under the radar? You know? Because I would totally go down there just for that. Right? Yeah. Wow. Well, it's to stay sharp. And then they, they love being on stage. Yeah. They love that very tangible, like, reaction from the audience. Yeah, no, that's got you know, to be hearing addictive. Them, hearing them laugh, like, in person. Yeah. Now, Cheech and Chong, you oh. said earlier, are sometimes credited as being sort of the originators of stand-up. Is that what you said? Or well, they Not I a stand-up, that, uh, but a no. what? Well, I think they really brought comedy to a mass audience and I remember as a kid, a teenager Cheech and Chong, you know class, class shut up, you know, it was like this yeah. and um, and I think they were, they got a record deal, they started out the Troubadour, they were there with the Eagles and uh, Jackson Brown, and, and so talk about yeah. this idea that I didn't realize that stand-up used to be a, like a first act. Yeah, it used to be a lot of comedians. They would warm up for, uh, you know, Tony Orlando and Don or Sonny and Cher. I and would totally love... The 60s, there were no clubs. Yeah. Because, like, opening acts suck so many times I in know. music. I would sometimes so much rather a comedy act. But the record, the ki- I think it was the Cheech Chong had the first comedy record. Mm-hmm. Is that a joint, man? When I grew up, it was, I had Steve Martin, and I was with my friends, and we were listening to the record, and then Robin Williams had a record out at that time, yep. and so uh, that really brought it to a wider market. Yeah, speaking of uh, Steve Martin, the very first comedy um, album I ever listened to was called Let's Get Small, yeah. mm-hmm. and wow. man, I just, my mom and dad used to play, because Steve Martin is kind of buttoned up compared to some people, and so they, they, you know, they're being more conservative, they just digged him, but man, his stuff wasn't buttoned up. His whole deal. I once got so small, which has got high, so high that I got sucked into a vacuum cleaner <laughs> and the drug wore off. <laughs> it was such good stuff. And you know, I'll be home sitting with my friends and uh, we'll be sitting around and somebody will say, hey, let's get small.
Steve Martin's a dandy, and his stuff with Martin Short is oh. just classic. Oh my god! There's a Netflix thing. Oh, yeah. Steve Martin and Martin Short. I oh yeah, I haven't watched that either. I'll, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Well, he was almost satirizing the the joke guys from the Borch Belts. He was really okay. Yeah, you know, he was, and it was kind yeah. of this. That's surreal. exactly what he did. It was yeah, it was surreal. It I was, just realized that. You know, he yeah, it was, he was satirical. The white yeah. suit and yeah. I, I recently watched uh, Steve Martin, and he just man, he played the banjo like. Oh, I've seen and him. He was just in Santa Barbara, just with his banjo band, with his bluegrass oh, yeah. band. They're amazing. Wow. Yeah, but he, you know, he he was, and I like physical. I like physical comedians. Yeah. You know, I like Chevy you know, Chase. The, yeah, and yeah. Uh, even back to Jerry Lewis or Jim Carrey. Yeah. It's yeah. like, you know, I, I like that, and you could see how physical uh, Steve Martin was. Yeah. yeah. I didn't grow up in the records era, but I had a record player. I bought records. Oh wow! You... I listened to Bill Cosby a lot. Hell yeah. And then the other one I listened to a lot was Von Meter. I do not know that name. So Von Meter was famous in the early 60s because he was a comedian, a satirist, who had a dead-on impression of President Kennedy. This is not just another guy. This fellow is also an entertainer. He's doing my act. He's uh, doing my gestures. And he's uh, using my lines. Do not ask what this country can do for you. That's one of my original lines. Nice. And I would listen to those Von Meter records over and over again, and I would do my impression of Kennedy based on Von Meter's impression. I'm going to put you on the spot right now. Yeah. Do you have Kennedy? You have Trump pretty good, but do you got Kennedy still? Still? I don't know about Steve. All right, we won't go there. Then. Oh, you can edit this all out. Try it, yeah. Uh, I'll mix Try it. everything. Like, what, what, what should I say? I don't, know what uh, I say. don't ask what the government can don't do for you. Don't ask what your country can do for oh, you. Dude. Ask what you can do for your country. Are you kidding me? It's not great, but it's the start. That's start's damn it's good. good. It's pretty good. But Who was that great um, impressionist? Like Rich Little was Rich Little. amazing. Yeah, and a bunch of them are good now. Brewer is great, oh, yeah. actually. Did you you saw him Who? recently? Who saw Jay Moore? Jim Brewer? Jay Moore. You saw Jay Moore. I saw Jay Moore at the. Uh, I was down in Irvine, and my parents lived down there, and uh, and I go, gosh, there's a, there's an improv down here, and Jay oh. Moore was um, was, and it was just packed, and it's uh, it was a Saturday night, and people are dressed yeah. up, and it was like, wow, it was uh, just someone that you know, I just went there, I didn't know who was performing, but it was you know, it's, that's crazy. Jay we're awesome. experiencing re- resurgence in comedy. I mean, yeah. it was really well, you, you got me. Thinking, I'm going soon. The real really store is like how many stores, Joel? It's a piece yeah, of history. Well, let's go. All my son is down there now, like a couple miles away. So let's we go. should go. Let's go. That would be dude. such a fun weekend. No, hell fun, yeah, dude. we're we're on that. We're not gonna let that slip. I mean, how so, could we really? That's like living in New York City. You know, all these people they don't go into the new the Statue of Liberty, the Empire right. State because they live there, and it's right. ridiculous to be it's living right here and not go to the comedy store. Yeah. So I, I have to say, and I and I mentioned earlier that I was listening to Cosby records. I used to love Bill Cosby. Chris Rock. He was in a documentary with with uh, Jerry Seinfeld. I think it was called Comedian. And they were talking about um, classic comedians like Bill Cosby. And Chris Rock's like, dude, I just watched a set with Bill Cosby. And Chris Rock's like, he talked for like three hours, nonstop. And he just touched on all of his different comedy routines over the decades. Seamlessly. Brilliant. Hilarious. And then a few years later, of course, Bill Cosby falls from grace. I got a question for both of you. If some comedian who you loved Mm -hmm. just did some really, really, maybe even things than Cosby did, would you still listen? I don't know. And so Louis C.K. is another one. Right. The hashtag I, I, I gotta tell you, I would. I and mean, that's too much joy to forego. 
I don't know if I could just say. I don't know. Like music, there's some musicians that are just dicks, but man, their music is so beautiful. I just, I would. Are you I'm not, not going to watch Roman Polanski films? Right, right. That's the other. That's, or uh, that's Woody our, Allen. Or Woody Allen. Woody yeah, Allen. yeah. Or are you going to stop watching movie? Or are you going to stop watching House of Cards because of Kevin Spacey? You know. His right, right. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I think you have to separate, but a lot yeah. of people. I mean, I can understand the other side, but that's a tough one. I think you have to separate the art from the artist. Yeah. And I hope that Louis C.K. He's maybe he'll get a good routine out of it. Oh man, <laughs> I, I would go. I would pay him mm-hmm. money, even though he's been a dick, because well, that would be an amazing routine. Mm-hmm. If well, he incorporated that, you can't go there, can you? He can't go there. I don't think he can. Well, I mean, when time passes, maybe they say maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Time heals all wounds. Yeah. I hope he does. Well, he also <laughs> revolutionized. Um, he also revolutionized the dis- the distribution of comedy. He was mm, the one that owned yeah. it. He had a website. Yeah, that's and, cool. Uh, but that's definitely dark. He comes from a very dark place. Yeah. What is his background? I you know, know it's like... very interesting. Um, he is half Mexican. He grew what? up in Mexico. Yeah. What? Yes. He no speaks, way. He speaks uh, Spanish. I love and it. His grandfather was a uh, a Jewish doctor that immigrated during the Holocaust. Oh my really? god! So obviously a very brilliant family, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and then he has red hair, and you know, so but yeah, but he comes from an outsider. He's Mexican. Yeah, that is wow. so cool. I never would have guessed. But see, there's there's darkness there. But the Mexican explains the whole sexual problems thing. Yeah, because we love to procreate. <laughs> we Mexicans love to procreate. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you might want to edit that. I'll edit that. that. I'll, I'll edit that. I'm Mexican. I can say it. But um, there's a darkness to comedians. Right? Oh, so absolutely. there was a darkness to Bill Cosby. Yeah. I'll edit that out too. No, <laughs> <laughs> so we gotta keep it. This is a comedy. This is comedy. Episode. But no, so there was this darkness that was part of his comedy. But I mean, because he was so like whitewashed, if you will, like he was America's <laughs> dad, you know? Yeah. But then with Louis C.K., if you listen to his comedy, there's a lot of dick jokes. A lot of masturbation jokes. Oh my gosh. Right? But that was his thing. Yeah. That's what got him in trouble. Right, was calling his girls up and did you mean doing his thing over the phone with them? His and in person. And in person. Thing or his thingy? His thingy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, actually, they were. I think he was had a movie and that had a movie that was like almost about this subject. Yeah. You know, it was almost like his fiction parallels right. his life. It was very That's autobiographical. Right. And, that. and is that just just not going to happen now, or is that going to eventually? No, it's definitely any it's project wow. that he was involved in. And I really like Baskets. It's a it's a current series with Zach Galifianakis and, oh, yeah, yeah. and Louis Anderson, who I'm a big fan of. Louis Anderson, right. who plays a, a his mother. Um, <laughs> Andrea, it's an awesome show, but Louis C.K. was involved in that. He was involved in a lot of stuff, and but yeah, he pretty much had to had to divest himself from well, that stuff. What sucks is like when, a, when someone falls from grace like that, they take everybody out with them. What do you mean? It's like any project that Louis C.K. was Oh, yes! Took down that whole project That's, with him. You're like, so all those people who are paid to do yeah, things. Yeah, you're a co-star, you're like, oh, right. They're All gone. these They're, yeah. residuals are coming my way. They're done. Oh yeah. So yeah, and and, and we, we talked about Robin Williams earlier. That's another person who came from a dark place. Yeah. And and it was suicide. How many comedians have either either overdosed, crashed and burned, let's, let's suicide? 
Uh, Robin Williams, mm-hmm. Sam Kinison, Sam, Sam Kinison. He OD'd, uh, right? Uh, I think he OD'd. Um, Who's that big guy on SNL who used to break the tables? Chris I Farley. I love that guy. Chris Farley. Chris Farley. Super dark. Um, what was Pryor's death? Was that uh, cocaine? Of, uh, no, no, no. Was he, it? Okay. he died of part. I think it was. Parkinson's it was a. It was a degenerative disease. Okay. Okay, I got that. But one. he had like destroyed his life through drugs. Right. Right. Wild, crazy life, basically. Right. But they say that comedians either die young or live a long life. Yeah. Milne Burrow. Or what was that dude's name? He had the cigar and he was... George Burns. I remember... Burns. I'm happy to be yeah. able to remember George Burns. You know, to <laughs> oh, yeah. have lived long enough to Absolutely. see him. He was funny. Such yeah. a straight face. Yeah. Mm. Even like Chappelle has had his dark deal. He did True. that deal, you know, and was so good at it. What in the end caused him just to, just to ditch he, everything? He was listening to some. He, he was in a some. was racial, wasn't it? His yes, a white guy. A white guy. Yeah. They were saying the racist stuff. Yeah, and he's like, "Holy, Whoa. what am I engendering here?" Yeah, like he felt like he was kind of promoting racism. Yeah, like inadvertently in the white community. Yeah. Like, he was being funny, right? To him, yeah. he was being funny. And it was funny. I loved his show. But there, people were taking his funny stuff to be racist. Yeah. Like, when he was the black guy in, like, Alabama who was blind. What exactly is your problem? How much time you got, buddy? <laughs> Where would I start? Well, first of all, they're lazy, good-for-nothing tricksters, crack-smoking swindlers. They eat up all the chicken. They think they're the best dancers. I love that, that my brother's like that. <laughs> He's Mexican. My right? brother, I won't name his name because every time I say his name, I bleep it out, so I'll save myself the effort of censoring it. But not my brother, Jesse. The other, my other brother. He's like that. He's like super that is racist. Funny. Or he won't like me saying that, but whatever. He's racist. But he doesn't get the irony. He doesn't get the irony. Got to show him that episode. Yeah. He's I mean, it. He thinks it's hilarious. Oh, but he doesn't man. understand that he's doing it. Yeah. Chappelle makes me laugh harder than almost any, I think anybody right now. And, and that's interesting that he just had it. And he just was just suddenly so awesome and just gone from the scene. Just so sudden. that uh, uh, He does a scene on HBO where he's taken by his limo driver to a ghetto. Like the limo driver just pulls him there. And he sees this little baby on the corner like a two-year-old. And he finally rolls down the window because his limo driver had gone in to get drugs or whatever. And says, hey, baby, go to go to bed. What are you doing out here at two in the morning? The baby's like, shut up. I got kids to feed. I, just, I could not stop laughing when I saw that. It was so, all right. I heard that. Oh, man. Man, he's just so good. So Deadpool two, they they it just went out on DVD and digital, and um, of course all the fans love to go through all the deleted scenes. Have you heard of this? No. There's a deleted scene because in the movie, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Deadpool two, there's a whole time travel bit where he goes back in time. <laughs> okay, he goes back in time and he tries to kill baby Hitler. Yeah, you got a big old stinky in there, don't you? Kind of smells like Hitler's anus, which. Which would make sense, wouldn't it? The studio made him take it out because it's Deadpool killing the baby. Oh, no! It's freaking hilarious. See, we're getting to PC. He's like, he keeps trying to start to kill. He's like, okay, here we go. And he can't kill the baby. He has to keep reminding himself that it's Hitler. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. But the studio made him cut it because it was horrible. But... 
So that, that yeah, there's a, there's there's a darkness. There is such a darkness to com- comedy. Oh, babies yeah. are just funny. I mean, babies they're just funny. So. Oh yeah. Well, oh, what yeah. else is fun? What else is dark and funny, Andy? Well, uh, well, we we talked about it. You know, just uh, what was the, there was a story. There was a movie about a comedian. He was a clown that he went back in the Holocaust and he was in a concert. He was in a concentration Life camp. Life is beautiful. Life is beautiful. Hmm. And um, hmm. that was just what a brilliant movie. Yeah. I love that movie. Yeah, yeah. So good. Yeah. Have you seen that? Oh my goodness. I have not. That dude won an Oscar for that. Remember he like walked across the chairs to the front? Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. That was good. What year, approximately? It was about 15 years ago or more, oh, 20. It seems like maybe yeah. 20. Okay. But when you could take, I mean, the Holocaust and and do a comedic take on it, I mean, that's just brilliant. That's no, it is. Just, yeah. yeah. Or you could be like Larry David. So I just bought the latest season of Curb Enthusiasm on DVD. Mm-hmm. Why would you buy DVD? Just because you want to own that. I want to own it, right? I want to support Larry David. Yeah. So his latest season on HBO, he, at the very beginning, makes a joke about the Ayatollah of Iran. And so the whole season, he's dealing with the fat wall that's been put on his head. <laughs> and he ends up meeting with Salman Rushdie. <laughs> that's the whole season. To ask him advice? Yeah. And Salman Rushdie's like, okay, you know what, Larry? Women are going to find this very sexy. <laughs> so he ends up dating these hot chicks he's got a fatwa on his head and he's dangerous right so he ends up dating like Elizabeth Banks and stuff like who could make a fatwa hilarious but Larry David right thank you thank you for seeing me Mr. Rushdie no call me Salman it's not Salmon Salman there are things that you gain there are a lot of women who are attracted to you in this condition really I didn't think there was any condition that they'd be you are a dangerous man well, in that show, Curb Your Enthusiasm, kind of, um, it's very Seinfeld-esque. Mm-hmm. I, I really like the Larry mm-hmm. David season where the, he was in The Producers. Yes. And and then at the end, spoiler alert, they, you know, Mel Brooks wanted Larry David's version of The Producers to tank so Larry David, so yes. Mel Brooks could get out of The Producers. So yes. A story in a story. That's yeah. so good. There's yeah. a scene there that, you know, he's he, he his wife says that, you know, you can have sex with a woman. You're one time. One time. You know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's culminating, culminating, culminating. Oh, yeah. And he's ready to do it, you know? And then she has a picture of George Bush in her dressing yeah. room. <laughs> and it's like, I just can't do it. She's a Republican. Well, they're, they're like, getting ready to make love. And he looks up and he sees this portrait of George Bush. He, he looks down at her very sadly. And he's like, that Republican? Yeah. That is the look that he's better at than anybody. Yes. What? What's that? What? What's that? What? Is that Bush? Yeah. You got a picture of Bush in your dressing room? Yeah. You're a Republican? Yes, Larry, I'm a Republican. Because of the yelling, but I, I think um, I like John John Oliver on Sunday Night. Mm, yeah, good show. But he oh, has that yeah. kind of grumpy yelling, mm-hmm. you know. And and uh, yeah, lots of I, it's different. Curb is different, you know. It's, yeah, yeah, it's one of my favorite shows of all time. Oh, yeah. That Seinfeld hilarious. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, and The Office. I can watch The Office all yeah. I just think that like there are those moments where we have those Seinfeld or Curb enthusiasm moments, and Joel and I have done this. Before. Oh yeah, like, this is so Curb enthusiasm. Oh, yeah. This is so Seinfeld. Like. 
every time we go into Subway, we're eating lunch, and there's um, a panhandling there. Oh, yeah. You talk about that episode where panhandler totally comes out on David because he didn't give him money. <laughs> whatever, I got that reason. He didn't give him enough or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That is uh, hilarious. That's good so stuff. Good. What is going on with um, this idea that gals can't be funny? That's a meme. That's a yeah. thing. And, man, you just have to watch Silverman. Tina Fey. I already have a drink. Do you think you'd buy me mozzarella sticks? And, and oh, so many more. But there's a hell of a lot less than them. Um, yeah. Less than men. Right, right. Uh, women. And, and that might be part of it. But hopefully it'll equalize eventually. Yeah. Well, they have to, uh, you know, comedians have to have a take. And, and there's so much pressure on women to be nice. Yes. And so um, so they really have to walk a line. Mm-hmm. And a question I, uh, like, uh, I was, you had mentioned the elder millennial, uh, Eliza Schlesinger. So I am. I'm a millennial, but I am an elder! <laughs> elder millennial! Wizened! Yes, gather round the Snapchat, children! She's very attractive, and mm-hmm. sometimes very attractive people, I don't laugh as much. You know, and and so they yep. women have and Michelle Wolf uh, um, on Netflix. It's like uh, it's her voice, or you know, there's a lot, a lot of women get a lot of criticism. For instance, right, right. And help me out, the blonde, funny as hell. Amy you went to see, what? Amy Schumer. So Amy Schumer, she gets body shamed all the time mm-hmm. which is like why do you go to a you go to a show to watch and I think she's freaking beautiful she's anyway yeah. and she kind of it's funny how she sort of projects that beauty and that sexuality on stage I'm dressed up I know this dress makes me look pregnant I look pregnant but you know dress for the job that you want people always assume that I'm shallow because I'm really pretty. While all the while directing your attention to the funny, to the comedy. Mm-hmm. But man, what the hell about like I can watch a 300-pound gal. She's funny. I could care less what she right. looks like. It's just nutty. So I, I, I hate to keep bringing up Jerry Seinfeld, but he's like my one of my favorite comedians ever. But his thing is like. And not to denigrate women in at all, but he says attractive people have a harder time being funny Hell yeah. because the person who's listening to them or watching them has to overcome their yeah. attractiveness. Yeah. There's it's two like minds. people who are like me who look weird can be funny <laughs> because, <laughs> like, okay, this person looks weird. They must be funny. Yeah. Right? Or this person, like, I don't know. It's almost like if you come from a place of privilege, it's harder for you to tap into that darkness yeah. or that weirdness yeah. that humor comes from. Mm-hmm. Well, I went, uh, just to change the subject just a little bit, is I went and saw Elvis and I go, this guy's too beautiful. I can't take him seriously. Right, right. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, it's it's you have to have two minds. You got to get over that first part. But and I think women, like you were saying with Eliza, um, who did Elder Millennial, that was hilarious. But it was like she had to go over the top to be funny. Yeah, she's very um, into like how she projects her mannerisms. Yeah, her whole it's like whole body experience. She's very physical, very physical, yeah. and it's like you have to work harder to overcome your attractiveness, mm-hmm. right? And not to say that this is a legitimate issue, but it is an issue. It's gonna be fun when a gal can actually incorporate their her beauty mm-hmm. in a great way. Somebody got to do that. It's gonna happen. Like, Tina Fey is. Hot. Oh, I'm just yeah. Gonna say it. Someone, they, she's smart. Part of it is she's oh, smart. Yeah. She's so yeah. smart. Yeah. And she's weird. 
Yeah. Right? Like, her her sketches on SNL and, like, 30 Rock are weird. Yep. I love it. Yep. Well, I kind of, I really appreciate the the women comedians because they bring a perspective yeah. that men can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're bringing new new commentary to the table. Yeah, and there's there's a boatload of female issues that are super uncomfortable that make us laugh. Like right. Silverman talk about periods and stuff like that. That's just great. <laughs> <laughs> I love when uh, Silverman talks about periods. That's great. Grandma, grandma's periods. Was yeah. right. I saw her do, do a joke about that. So. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> well, like Michelle Wolf. All right. She did yeah. the pre- the the correspondence dinner. Right. She savaged Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I actually really like Sarah. I think she's very resourceful. Like she burns facts and then she uses that ash to create a perfect smoky eye. Like maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's lies. And she got a lot of grief for it. Did do you think that that a guy would have gotten that much amount, or is it just really the content? I think with our current political climate, I think that a guy would have been maybe um, more savage. more. Yeah, you might uh, that might be for attacking a woman. Yeah, but this is like woman on woman. Yeah. Well, in her show, I, I uh, she just enjoys the art, mm-hmm. and you can just tell that she just has a smile on her face, and it's joke, punchline, you know, setup, punchline, setup, punchline, and there's just a joy in it. Yeah. And we've been talking about a lot of darkness. Yeah. But there's also a great joy in doing this yeah. art form. Yeah, it's an art. It is. So, okay, so looking forward, we, we, we talked about women, looking forward, are there any, like, what's what's changing in comedy, or, like, who are some up-and-comers in comedy? I am like, the wrong guy to ask. I, I think know. Eliza's one that, who's, I think she's been doing it for a few years, but she's hilarious. I can yeah. totally see Michelle Wolf is another one. Yeah. Well, it comes up. I, Eliza comes from a generation, so I think, and one thing about comedy, too, people's tastes are different, mm. and you could see a comedian that's just filling big theaters and but it's like okay it's not my thing and oftentimes yeah. comedians that are speaking from your experience from your maybe they're your age or maybe they're they're speaking from your experiences they speak to you so yeah. one person yeah. might laugh and enjoy a comedian and others won't so I think that yeah. younger comedians are going to bring these ish- are going to reflect their experience and then they're going to bring in another audience yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. I think that it's going to be a challenge for this generation because they have to come over the PC yeah. bullshit. Yeah. Right? They have to, get they have to thread that needle yeah. where it's like, be funny, but then don't say these things. Yeah. you got to be a social justice warrior or whatever. Yeah. But there's so many venues now. I mean, just the, mm. the media landscape. There's Netflix and all the other streaming services. So this is just, and they're hungry for com, uh, for content, and yeah. it's cheap to produce a show. Yeah. So we're really experiencing a renaissance. It is of the technology. It's yeah. and and man, I've been watching so many shows, and it just lightens my day. And podcasts, yeah. Netflix. Yeah. You were saying on Hulu they have that uh, the Marvel Smiths. Um, Maisel. Maisel. Amazon. Amazon. Amazon yeah. yeah. It's just it's amazing. Comedy is like you were saying having its renaissance yeah. right now. Oh, there's a lot of shows about comedy. I I want to plug for Broad City. Broad City is a comedy. Uh, two women, and she's the lead in. Um, there's a new Matt Gronig uh, Netflix. Um, oh, yeah. Abby. Her name is Abby on Netflix. But all these young women and. Um, 
Um, and a lot of shows. There's a show crashing on HBO. Yep. Uh, I'm dying up here. Covers a comedy store. So we're learning a lot. And other podcasts are. Yeah. Every comedian has a podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That ta- that that taxi show with Seinfeld and, and that Letterman is is kind of funny when he does his yeah. his deal on stage and, and but the, also being able to go back and watch all these classic shows on YouTube. Yeah. Is just amazing. Oh, wow. yeah. I spent a whole hour the other day on Stephen Wright on YouTube. Oh, he's just funny. just that real intellectual type stuff. It's just Canadian. great stuff. Then I woke up this morning. I was folding my bed back into a couch, and I wasn't one of those beds, and I almost broke both my arms. <laughs> and like I told you guys, that Dimitri. What's his Dimitri's last name? Dimitri Martin. Martin. The other day, it's kind of like the Stephen Wright intellectual stuff, and oh yeah, and you can. There's so many different genres of comedy. And, yeah. Ah, there's that, and you know we got to give a little cred to, to the whole physical comedy with Chevy Chase and and that stuff is Michael funny. Richards who is great. Yes. Oh, Michael Richards. You know what? Because it's dinner time. And you know what you do at dinner? What? You talk about your day. How was your day today? Did you have a good day today or a bad day today? Well, what kind of day was it? Well, I don't know. How about you? How was your day? And that whole deal with his That's racist right. rant, and but man, he's apologetic, and I'm totally willing to just. Uh, yeah. He has to come back. Yeah. I know. What a shame. We need to know people want him back. But he came back on Curb Enthusiasm. The head back on your head. You made a jump out of me. No, 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 no. If only there were a, a horrible name that I could call you that would make you as angry as I am. Yeah, he had a good attitude. Right right. Hey, you know what we got to bring up is some of the great Hispanic um, comedians, too. We haven't mentioned very many. All the fast food restaurants, Latinos. Everyone. You have to speak Spanish to get a hamburger. Welcome to Jack in the Box. Um, is this Jack in the Box? Um, hi, can I have a Jumbo Jack? Okay, you want a Jumbo Jack? Oh, Freddie uh, Prince was one of the ones Freddie that died. Prince oh, was yeah. insane. Part, speaking of the, the dark side, and, and god dang it. Who's that guy? Oh, Fluffy. Yeah. Gabriel Glacius is great. Yeah. And those guys are, like, speaking of the young crowd, my son in college, they dig him more than anybody. I mean, that guy's the, he's, he's, he's it. He's funny. I got a fantastic burger. How can I help you? I'll do this. Hello, sir. (laughs) Can I please have a double cheeseburger and order fries and a shake? What I love now is with comedy is there's, with the renaissance of all these like stand-up routines and sketch comedy shows or whatever, and, and late night political shows, there's also this growth of documentaries about comedy. Yeah. And I just watched one the other night that was brilliant. It was on Jim Carrey exploring his role as Andy Kaufman. Oh. It was on Netflix. I think it was called Jim and Andy. Mm-hmm. So good. But you see how like he became so method in preparing mm. for this role to where he would, like, become Andy Kaufman on the set. Yeah. Or, like, Tony Clifton, who was, like, one of Andy Kaufman's alter egos, basically. And then on the set, while they're filming Man on the Moon, that Andy Kaufman movie, Jim Carrey, as Andy Kaufman, pissed off Jerry Lawler, the wrestler guy, so much that he got attacked. 
and he got put in an ambulance and taken to the hospital and had to wear a neck brace, which is what happened to Andy Kaufman. Oh, I love it. So it became very meta. It was like yeah. this weird, like that's crazy. Well, and that's before that's he started performance art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh man, yeah. and that's a whole other hour, right? Yeah. There. All right, oh, man. <laughs> next hour. Yeah. All right, next time. So, final thoughts on this before we wrap this section up. I'm just saying endorphins. I mean, that's all I'm gonna say. Mm-hmm. Love it. I I tend to laugh when I'm tired. So when I wake mm. up in the middle of the night, that's a good time to watch comedy. Yeah, yeah. nice. Yeah. I would just say like if you're um, deadly serious all the time, then you're probably seriously dead. Learn to laugh. Learn to have humor. It makes your life so much more fulfilling and worthwhile. Yeah. All right, man. Cheers to that. All right, that's beautiful. So for this part of our show, we like to talk about one thing that we're reading, we're watching, um, or we're listening to. So, Joel, do you have anything that you're listening to this week or watching or reading? So I read last, just last night a superb article from the superb publication New Yorker, which just has such great writers, uh, Paul Singer. Doomsday Investor, and it was written by, and I hope I get all my glasses here, but help me out, Sheila, can I get all my glasses? Oh my goodness. Sheila Kohatkar? Sheila Kohatkar? It is about this dickhead hedge fund investor. He actually is called an activist investor, not a hedge fund guy. And he buys like 10% of a company and then immediately goes to the CEOs and all these guys and insists on them changing. And and will put stuff on their personal life, just plaster that online and in publications if they don't comply. Really? Yes. George Bush's nephew, I think it is, was head of a company. It's a health company, a healthcare company out of San Diego. They, this guy bought like 10% of his company, didn't like the way he was doing it, plastered crazy stuff about his life. The guy that's Bush, right? Mm-hmm. And usually I wouldn't care about him, but he right. was totally abused. Um, wow. Was fired because of it. And all but it's just great. It just more than anything, I think it tells you a little bit about how investing and the bottom line for investors just gets in the way of what's more important, which is, you know, employment, mm. you know, and the long view. Like right. if Amazon listened to all these guys who said you're doing stupid things, and they were one of the companies, and a lot of these tech companies say, screw you guys, we're going to go for the long term, and they win in the long run. They wouldn't be where they are if they didn't look at the long term, but investors, like these activist investors, force these companies to look at the short term, which is really bad for the workers, for the economy, for just our soul as a a company. Country, right. but it's it's really true. One more thing too, um, Joyce Manor. I love uh, sort of pop punk, like Blink One Eighty Two pop punk. And I don't know how this uh, band escaped me for so long, but Joyce Manor is a full on sort of Weezer ish, Blink One Eighty Two total teenage pop punk type uh, band. And man, um, they have got a great new album. Actually, two years old. It's not new. Called Cody. That I just been listening to. Tons. Andy? 
I enjoy music a lot, and I enjoy the blues, and I was at a recent festival, and I went and saw an artist. His name is Aki Kumar, Yeah, and he is a blues harmonica player, but he is from India, oh, and he has, a, yeah. he has a an album that com- combines Bollywood and the blues, and so he <laughs> sings in Hindi. He sings in Hindi, but he's backed up by a blues band and plays blues harmonica. Just enjoy yeah. the mashing of culture. Hell yeah. That's cool. We'll tell him one more time. His name. Aki Kumar. Nice. Um, so I, I uh, watched a short documentary. It's about 20 minutes this morning. And it's uh, by Brave New Films. Uh, it's called Healing Trauma Beyond Gangs in Prison. And it's a short documentary that follows um, an L.A.-based um, organization called Homeboy Industries. Oh uh, yeah, and it was started. There's a priest in, involved in that, yeah. Yeah, started and run by um, Father Greg Boyle. There we go. He's a Jesuit, and it it, it's, it focuses on him reaching these these former gang members. This place is a, a community of tenderness, we call it, and where, where healing happens. So here, you're always wanting folks to move beyond the mind they have. I was talking to a homie earlier about his old version of himself, and that's exactly kind of how you would want to envision it. Authentically healing them spiritually, but also putting them through like counseling, um, parenting classes, how to cook, how to get a job, how, different job skills, yeah. inter- all these things. So it's not just trauma remediation, man. Yeah, so it's yeah. like they don't have to keep going back to that gang life. So they don't have to keep going back to prison. It's like getting out of prison and then like staying out of prison. Yeah. And then bringing them into a community that supports one another. So not going back into drugs or the gang life. Um, really, it's only 20 minutes. It's a super short documentary called Healing Trauma Beyond Gangs and Prisons. So I recommend it. Homeboy Industries. It's awesome. Um, That's all for this week. Thank you so much for joining us on our humble little podcast. You could do us a huge favor by subscribing to our show wherever you listen to podcasts such as Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, iTunes. Be sure to rate our show and leave a review. Your rating will help others to find the show. And be sure to find us on Facebook and Instagram at Conversation on Tap. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week. And Here's to laughing. Thank you, Andy, for joining us. Thank you, Andy. Thank you. Awesome. Love it.